It's two jerks, one vote. This theme song says we're judging, but that's not true. We're just reviewing Spin Tune 16 Round 2 with our special guest from Bako Yucks Dudes, Tommy G. Hi, I'm Chumpy, and this is the jerk. Hi. Now here's how this thing works. We won Spin Tunes 13, so now we're back here on the scene to judge you, rate you, to flatter you, and then eliminate you. I know that stuff to hear. Get used to the idea Yeah, you're gonna lose This spin tunes And yes, I'm talking to you Yeah, you're gonna lose This spin tunes Deep down inside you know that it's true Most of these bands are gonna lose Before this thing is done And your band's won And by your band's won I don't mean your band's won With bands being a contraction of band has And won me in the past tense of win what I'm really trying to say is that you're one of the losers. All right, welcome to Two Jerks, One Vote. We are back after a bit of a hiatus. Do we want to discuss why we haven't been doing podcasts all that often? Well, I, th- I think it's because it's a lot of work. It is a bit of work, and I think that there's no payoff. <laughs> I mean, I know that some people enjoy it, and I enjoy doing them, but I think that part of it is that you gave people the option to skip everything except for their own bit, and I think that there's a number of people who are taking advantage of that, which is fine, which is why we did it, but when they do that, it doesn't count as sort of like a tick on a download or anything so it looks like nobody's listening <laughs> it now. looks like we have you know maybe 10 listeners yeah which is kind of what's expected anyway because there's no reason for anybody who isn't actually competing to listen to this but it's a little bit like wow all this effort that we're putting into it you know especially like the original song bits and stuff that we'd occasionally do doesn't doesn't seem like it might be worth all that effort so that's part of why we stopped doing it you know, now that we're not judging anymore, there's less of a urge to do that too because we don't have to have our you know rationale or our opinions out there anymore. So I think that's probably most of it. I think. Yeah. In this case, though, I think there's just not very many reviews being written. Usually, folks on the Song Fight bulletin board will write reviews for the songs, but I just haven't seen a lot of them. So here I am on the song fight bulletin board hitting refresh going, please, someone write a review so I can read it. And um, I feel like we're doing a service by having the podcast. So I I think it's good we're doing it. Yeah. So thanks for you 10 people out there, uh, four of which are Russian bots. I, I still appreciate it. It's perfectly fine. But anyhow, okay, so I guess let's launch into Spin Tunes 16 Round 2. Or do we have anything else to announce? Did we get a guest this time around? We did. (laughs) We have a lurker back there. It's Tommy. Tommy G, the host of the Spin Tunes and sometimes Song Fight and sometimes Nerein Listening Parties. Also known as, I believe, half of Bafo Yucks Dudes. It's confusing. Hi, hi, Ryan. Hi, Chumpy. Nice to meet you. Hi, Tommy. Great to have you on. It depends wanna... on who you talk to, as how many okay. people are in Bafo Yucks, dudes. So. Okay. All right. Well, let me let people know where to find Bafo Yucks, dudes stuff. Great uh, name. Ba- 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yucks, of course, spelled Y-U-X. So, uh, Bafo B. Why don't I start at the beginning? Bafo Yucks Dudes. B-O-F-F-O. Y-U-X and then dudes, D-U-D-E-S. So you can find them at Bafo Yucks Dudes, all one word, at bandcamp.com. You can also find them at facebook.com. That's F-A-C-E-B-O-O-K.com. Um, they have a Tumblr page. They're on SoundCloud. They are the only Bafo Yucks Dudes on those platforms. You're, if you just go on and search for them, you'll find them. You can check out well over 500 videos, actually well over 900 videos at YouTube under the Bafo Yucks Dudes account, which content, 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 man. Just tons and tons and tons of wonderful stuff there. You can also check out their Song Fight archive at songfight.org where they have one song listed. And uh, their Nurain archive at Songlander, where they have more than one song listed. Did I miss anything? Oh, I'm sure you did. But okay, uh, all right. Could, I think that's you've overwhelmed people anyway for with the the over of the Buffalo Yucks dudes, I guess. Which gotcha. which I've always laughed that we came up with that probably before anybody listening was alive. We actually <laughs> <laughs> the name came up in like 1987. And then we're on Demento in 87 and 88 with it, so we're stuck with it. So it's, it's okay when you're young to do that, but when I can get an AARP card, that's not quite as descriptive. <laughs> okay, so you can't just name drop like that without ex- explicating a little bit. So you had some interaction with Dr. Demento. I used to work as an overnight DJ up in New Hampshire. And when I first got the gig in 85... I used to do the Sunday Night Six-Pack, which was like all the Westwood One radio stuff, and they would do syndicated radio, and one of the shows was Dr. Demento, and I loved that show. And I said, I really want to get material on there. So I was working morning shows, and one of the side gigs, we did syndicated radio bits. So in addition to all the stuff you hear now, if you were listening to terrestrial radio sometime in the late 80s, early 90s, you heard us constantly because we were the other side of the interactive bits. So anybody doing Elvis Presley in a a traffic chopper, that was us. (laughs) Oh, wow. Anybody talking to Alfred Hitchcock, that was us. Oh, my gosh. So we would write funny scripts, leave a hole for the DJ, and they would go out every two weeks on six or seven different services. So we did hundreds, thousands of bits in addition wow. to our live stuff that we did up at the New Hampshire station that we hosted. So some of those bits, I sent a reel to Dr. Demento. He said, I love this. So like three or four of the skits we did and songs and whatever made it up on Dr. Demento in the 80s. And then he replayed it something like 25 years later. He played a couple of them. But I haven't said anything new since. I keep meaning to and haven't sent Barry anything. So I feel bad. But, oh, but, it was, but it's fun. That's what a certain segment remember us as. And then we... Stopped doing comedy for a long time, and I went to do a real job so I could pay mortgages and stuff. And then mm-hmm. about 10 years ago, I happened to come across Masters of Song Fu. Somebody had followed me once this new Twitter thing came out and said, hey, I'm doing this thing. You should try doing this. Said, All right, who's in it? It's like, oh, well, Jonathan Colton's doing this, and Neil Innes. And Neil Innes? Holy crap. Hold on. I, <laughs> I want to see what's going on with this. And they had this thing called Masters of Song Fu, which was... The masters, which are the internet music celebrities, and then they allowed 20, whoever schmo was on the internet could come in 
and do a song to the same challenge that the masters were doing. And there was like three rounds, and then ultimately it was going to be mano at mano against one of the masters that won. Wow. And they end up doing six of them, and that's actually the granddaddy of spin tunes. That's how spin tunes started, because Masters of Song Fu kind of fell apart towards the end because the masters, I mean, they weren't getting paid. They were just doing it for fun, and they didn't have the time, so they all kept bowing out. So we were kind of like fighting among ourselves, and they never did it again. Wow. So after about six months, nine months, the 20 or 30 people that had been doing it for like the six contests said, we don't need them to do a contest. (laughs) 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 So Heather and Travis, that's why everybody says it's Heather's fault. It's because Heather cajoled Travis into actually organizing this thing. And the first one we did, I forget how many, I mean, after the first couple of contests, we were getting like 60 people in at at one time. It's just nutty how many songs were getting in at once, but it it mellowed out a little bit after a while because we realized it just got way too huge. Oh. Is, that is that Heather? That's not Heather Miller you're talking about, is it? No, it is. Um, oh my goodness! There, like Glenn's, there's a ton of Heather's. I'm trying to remember. Okay. It's not Heather Zink. It's it is ooh. Heather Zink. It is okay. Heather, Heather okay. Zink is the the one that we should all blame for spending. Okay. <laughs> it is her blame, and and she proudly wears that mantle. Uh, Heather Miller was also someone who did early spin tunes and actually is one of the shadows for this round. Yeah, she's which the I'm last excited song she on the came list. Back. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm on her Patreon. I would say go over that, patreon.com for Heather Miller. And she's been doing like a song a week for a long time. She's up to like 100, 150 songs by now. And she also put out a release and a few other things. So she's a very nice person to follow up if you're interested in songs and you, and you got a freebie out of the deal with a, a shadow that happened in this one. Cool. Great. Wow. Well, that seems like a pretty good segue, or do we want to co- Well, no, actually, let's cover some more stuff. Uh, <laughs> You're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the Joko Cruise. Okay. I saw some video footage of uh, you hosting a panel discussion on there. And I know that you're, you know, you go on the boards and talk about the Joko cruises uh, when they're coming up. And every time I check them out, they're sold out anyway. So, uh, but yeah, why, why don't you mention the kind of stuff that you do on those? Oh, the, the Joko cruise, uh, for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's like nerd nirvana. I'll put it that way. It's internet musicians, board game folks, comedians. It's a whole intersection of all these different folks that enjoy entertainment, are kind of internet famous or rock and roll famous. I mean, Amy Mann's on it. Will Wheaton's been on it for all these years. And it's turned into a fun community where not only is there stuff that's going on like on stage for like shows, but the people that are actually on vacation have the opportunity to do whatever they want and can say, you know, in advance they do shadow shows. So Brian Gray and Zoe Gray for three, four years in a row literally just said, hey, we want to book a room. They booked the room and did a concert and they had a full 45 minute, 50 minute set. Wow. Like a a stage or full stage. And the beauty is you can just be an audience person or you can be a participant and set stuff up. So, when I found that out, you just in advance say, I would like a room. I think there's going to be 70 people show up. And there's a wizard named Bob that takes all the requests, puts them in a hat, rearranges them so everybody's schedule fits. So let's say you go to something at night. There'd be like the main concerts with whoever, the, the 
the folks that they're publishing are out there, but you get a side menu of all the people that are on the boat that wanted to perform or okay. do different things. And it's not just music or like in my case, I did a spin tunes panel because four or five spin tuners were on the boat. I said, all right, we got to do something. We're all here. So I've done two of those panel type things and just invite people in. Hey, you want to do it? We'll tape it. It goes up and people get to see what's going on. The first year I actually made an audio DVD of, I think it was like 70 or 80 artists. And I handed them out to all the famous folks to say, Hey, it's free, free CD. <laughs> <laughs> and they went, Oh, okay. Kind of cool. Except a few people ran for me because I didn't realize they actually were in music and didn't. It's like, no, oh. I'm not supposed to take this. I'm a oh. professional at this. I went, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. I thought you were a lot of like science fiction authors and stuff like that that are on, which is great. So like Pat Rothfuss, uh, John Scalzi, MK Jemsen, it's full of Hugo winners. Oh, okay. And then you'll have major comedians on as well, but they're all brought in because it's like, oh, their friend was on and they had a good time because do you really want to be stuck with fans for a week is the question. But most of these people don't know they're not from your fandom. <laughs> so, yeah. so you're just like a normal person. So like David Rees comes on the boat. It's like, who the hell's David Rees? It's like, well, he used to be a, an artist, but then he had a series that talked about really simple stuff that was on a, a video show. They're all situationally famous, I guess. So okay. John Hodgman is on, and he's doing some stuff, but he's doing his judge thing or whatever. Or the last one was, what's the name? My brother, my brother, and me. The, uh, those folks were all on. Basically, the whole family took over the boat last year, wow. which is great. And they, all of them did podcasts. It was very <laughs> cool. McElroy's. Yes, the McElroy's. I, I, <laughs> my girlfriend will kill me because I almost didn't say their name, but <laughs> I love them. They're very nice, but they literally... You, you can't spit without tripping over a McElroy on the boat. <laughs> okay. One, one of the things that kind of got in the way of me, uh, you know, booking tickets is that it looked at like it was really, really heavy on video games and comic books. And I'm not big on either of those. But from your description, I mean, you haven't mentioned anything about any of that stuff. So it, I guess there's plenty of stuff for everybody then, maybe. Um, as far as video games, last two times they actually brought on somebody who does vintage video games. Oh. So, like, they had, like, 20 different platforms with, like, 400 different games looking out over the sea. So, you could, <laughs> if you wanted to, there was 50 stations that you could sit down, just take a thing out of the library and play something from your childhood. It was, so, it was great. <laughs> so, like, instead of looking out over the sea, it could be just like you're at home in front of your computer. Well, no, <laughs> plain <laughs> dig dug. The scary thing was I could sit with my feet up on the side of the boat, look out, at the sea while I'm looking at the screen right there. Oh, wow. It's in the same room. <laughs> it's like they also brought on like a dozen old full-size video cabinets, which was kind of cool because last year I'm playing Joust and then Will Wheaton comes up next to me and he's playing Dig Dug and he's fascinated with trying to keep the high score on Dig Dug. So it's kind of cool. So we just <laughs> like, all right, I'm just looking. Yeah, you're doing okay. And then I'm going, damn it, the pterodactyl got me again. <laughs> but... People are very cool. There's not, as long as you don't fanboy on the stuff, everybody's all in the same boat. And the nerd stuff is whatever you nerd about. There was a guy who was into lock picking, and he literally brought 20 of the transparent locks, and he held four or five shadow things on how to pick a lock. And oh it was one gosh. of the most popular things. People are, are knitting constantly. They have a craft room where they're building and showing different stuff. One of the science fiction authors are also a puppeteer and showed how they would do stuff with Sesame Street. 
a group of the people, I guess Portal had a musical that was out on the West Coast at one time. Oh and gosh. they got the information on how to do it. And like 20 people from all around the, the world rehearsed so they could do a performance there. And when they were there at the performance, they didn't realize that the voice of GLaDOS was watching in the audience. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and she got up and said, you guys were awesome. And they didn't realize she was there the whole time. That's the type of synergy that goes on this boat all the time. Wow. There's a, the other cool thing is uh, one of my friends, Lar, is an artist. And he would always be on like the, by the pool area. And he'd just take out his artwork stuff and either do characters or whatever you're doing. But he has like an iPad. So he'd be drawing with a stylus during all the concerts and things. So everything that's happening in the concert, half of it is you know performance and half of it is they're just goofing on what's going on. So if something happens, like somebody does something with Baby Shark or something other, and it's a really bad joke and everybody starts picking on each other, he's sitting down in the audience doing a, a character drawing of Paul from Paul and Storm as a Baby Shark doing something goofy, <laughs> takes it, puts it up on, here's, here's where the nerd comes out. They have a separate Wi-Fi system called TwitR, which is free that everyone can connect to on a server. So we're all interconnected through our phones without actually being on the internet. It can go up, post, everybody in the audience sees it. Wow. That's and it cool. stays up for a few, it's, and everybody communicates. There's so many different pieces to it, and I just am very excited to, to go again just to catch up with friends and people. So, But like once again, I evangelize, and everybody goes, oh, and it's expensive, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> And so it's it's tough. Each year I go, yeah, I'm not, I, can't, I can't go next year. I just I don't have the money to do this because you can't do any of the vacations. Pretty much it's like it's that or something else. But damn, it's so cool. Okay. All right. Well, you sold me on it. So we'll you need to go. Well, actually, if you want to get on, it's already they already opened up 2021 and it's half full. Sixty oh <laughs> percent full already. And they just announced where they're going. They haven't announced anybody on the damn thing. It just keeps going earlier and earlier that it fills up. Wow. Yeah, I'll, that's, I'll, it. that's enough me rambling. Sign up now, yeah. Ryan. I will do. Okay. All right. All right. Now, should we move on to Spin Tunes round two, or is there more that we should cover? In Look, let's move on to Spin Tunes round two. So, one, mm-hmm. Go ahead. One, I was going to say backup. Why don't you just give your impressions in round one before you go to two? That's a good idea. That's a good idea. So, what, what did we think about round one? The 27 initial songs that we had. There were some names that I hadn't heard before that came out really, really, really strong. Yeah. And this is like, the first time I've ever heard any songs by Steve Stearns or by Nick Work. Yeah, they're both both really, really strong contenders, I think, already. So Yeah, some of my favorites from last round and this round. Yeah, absolutely. Also, Micah's song about the Iliad just really bowled me over. I was really, really impressed by the uh, the lyrics in that one in he particular. He is one clever guy. Yeah. But yeah, it uh, it was a little bit intimidating how strong everybody came out of the gate like that. And I think, you know, to move it over into round, or edge it over towards round two, I think that a lot of the entries for round two were comparably safe. I was a little bit more excited about round one uh, and hearing what people were doing there than a bulk of the round two. So I think that'll, you know, when you hear my comments on the round two songs, that'll be a repeating theme that I thought that a lot of these people were generally playing it pretty safe. Yeah. 
I like the round one songs. I, I looked at a little bit of what was going on. Uh, Steve Stearns, I thought, was in previously. He did, um, oh gosh, it was before you guys started, the election round. He did a really good one about elections around the planet Titan. It was a very nice, upbeat, boppy song. So I, I really liked his stuff, and I'm glad the last two songs in this round, it's been really good. I liked your song, uh, In the Future, and you actually did a video with it, too. That made me smile. I like the Jerkatorium one. That you actually really are one good. of the few people who probably knew who, who Criswell is. I, that's why I went, wait a minute, they're doing Criswell. That's cool. Um, Timothy Patrick Hinkle, I've never heard him before, but I really liked, I mean, it's like he went all Jethro Tull, and it's like, man, that came out really good. Yeah, I like that one. He's been um, in uh, Song Fight a bit, and okay. he's, uh, I, I don't th- I'm not sure that if he's won any Song Fights yet, but he's really strong in those. I'm always glad to see when a, a Tim Hinkle song is up. Yeah. And there was a couple others I like. I, I know, uh, like, Brewhouse Sessions, I'd never heard of them before. I liked the way how their song came out, especially if that was the first one they'd ever done, like, put down to tape. I went, yeah. that's, that was pretty impressive what they were doing with that. I like Micah's song. And uh, Brian Gray came out really good, and I like Just Ducky. It just made me like bounce the the one with the horns and the screaming about the big W. And, oh, wait a minute, you picked the B big W, and I knew what you're talking about, so that's good. <laughs> the ones that got kicked out were maybe not largely a surprise, I think. Also, the scoring. I know that people sometimes complain about the scoring, and there were some disparate scores here. It's kind of strange to see. You know, somebody getting kicked out if one or another of the judges put them in the top 10 or see like people in the top five that have very, very low scores by one or two judges. But, you know, after Chumpy and I judged a number of times, I think that I get it now. It doesn't bug me anymore. So I just want to kind of re- you know, assert that it's not all that unusual. People have their own kind of criteria. People are tickled or offended by other things. And yeah, and uh, I get it. Some judges, I think, work hard to see the value of the song independently from the production and the performance. Mm. And I think in some judges' mind, those things are inseparable. So you I think that's why the quantifier yeah. song was so polarizing. Yes, judges have different criteria. And until you've actually done it, and seeing how much work is involved. And it's like, Bafa Yux didn't do any until, I think we judged 14 or something like that. And all three of us were in. And we could not have had different scores if you tried. Uh, because <laughs> one of us is in LA, one of us is in Chicago, and one of us is in Boston. So we, other than just email and, and going back and forth over the internet, we don't really contact much to each other except through notes. And we were just so far different. So I, I definitely get, there's not a judge out to get you. Everybody's just got different taste. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's move on into the reviews. Does that sound like a good idea? Yeah, let's launch in. Okay. No, let's talk about something else for a while. <laughs> All right. <laughs> How are you on toast? Do you like sourdough or I'm a whole wheat man myself. So. I like toast in a champagne glass. Ah, okay. Got it. <laughs> Can we move on now? Yes. <laughs> okay. First up is Caravan Ray with Peak Misery. The pressure was building up. Pressure was building up. Pressure was building up. I could feel it. Pressure was building up. For the pressure was building up. Pressure was building up. Pressure was building up. I could feel it. Pressure was down the track. Stop for the people. 
All right. I thought this sounded very Caravan Ray. You know, uh, Peak Misery is the current song fight title, and that's fine. I know it's perfectly fine to gear something towards submissions to both song fight and spin tunes and or Nurine. It's been done in the past. It's absolutely fine, you know, as far as all the rules are concerned. I'm usually a little soured on it, you know, unless it was done really, really, really well. And this song's just fine. Uh, I don't think it's amazing, but I think it's... Uh, you don't love it because it has a clav? It, that didn't even register. So uh, I guess uh, I guess I do love it now that I know that there's a clav in there. <laughs> it's kind of very funky clav, too. I, why didn't I get that? All right. Well, I, I just kind of thought that you sort of had to buy into that one riff and that one rhythm to get into this song. and And that's fine. It's good. Yeah, dun, 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 dun. It starts out sounding a little bit under pressure, and then it kind of moves into its own sort of groove and its own vibe, and that's all fine. I didn't dislike this song, let me put it that way. Yeah. I didn't dislike this song either, um, and I never skipped it when it came around. I thought the bass and drum parts at the start were really groovy, and they're both pretty loud, and his vocals are somewhat quiet at the start, so I had a hard time sort of getting my bearings, but once things got rolling, it was pretty good. One thing I liked about this song is Caravan Ray's use of counter melodies. I remember in one Nurine, I forget which Nurine it was, but there was a challenge to use a counter melody. And I remember sort of stressing out about it and going, ah, uh, how can we get this counter melody thing? It sounds harder than it actually is. And Caravan Ray includes them in almost every song. And so there's this one line where it goes, the pressure was building up. The pressure was building up. And then, like, he's got another counter melody where it, he's singing about, you know, for the past two weeks, I could feel it coming nearer. And it, it's kind of cool how he does that. It's just something that I think he likes to do. And it's something that caught my attention with this song. And, of course, the funky clav I thought sounds really cool. Just the overall vibe of this song was is funky, and I liked it. Uh, I love the groove. Uh, Caravan Ray just made me smile on this one. The nanas were infectious. Oh, yeah. And it reminded me of one of his older Nurine songs. I mean, it's his style, but there was one that was like, I could swear it, it was very similar to one of the Nurine songs that he did, but I couldn't place which one it was. But overall, I, I went, all right, each time it came in, I did not want to hit fast forward. I mean, my goal is I, I think I listened to everything at least five times, and then this morning... I actually clicked through to, to see the song bio that would be on top of the lyrics. And like my eyes just went, really? <laughs> Some of these, I so miss this. <laughs> but then my eyes went open and said, oh, okay. But on this one, he didn't have anything extra. I just, I just enjoyed the song. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next up, we've got Timothy Patrick Hinkle with Number Line.
So one thing I like about Tim's songs is he's got this super low voice, this low register that he can get to. He doesn't always do it, but you hear it on the first verse in this song. On the line, it goes, bundle up and hide, and it gets really low. And I, I really like how low he can sing. And this song, it starts off in kind of a dark minor key sound. And I didn't know what the song was about until I actually clicked in and read the song bio. And I thought, wow, this is kind of a neat idea. So I don't know if you guys have read the bio, but the gist of it is, is that on his way to work, he has to cross a freeway overpass and his heart always sort of leaps into his throat a little bit when he's doing it and he can't stop picturing that he might be like whisked off this overpass by the wind or something and then go crashing down below. So he sort of, in his head, he counts just to sort of give him something to take his mind off of it while he's crossing. And he kind of he kind of added that into the song and it's a really neat idea and there's all these sort of traffic noises which you can sort of subtly hear blended in with the song that kind of when everything gets washed away at the end you can hear those traffic sounds remain it's really nicely done it's a good song i like this one as well and also didn't want to hit the fast forward button on this one either yeah i'm a tim ankle fan i guess and i thought started out and the guitars in the back sounded a little Jesus and Mary Chain E. They seemed to be a little bit in the background and kind of distorted and they got the delay on them and things like that. And I, I thought it worked kind of well for this song, for the whole feeling, uh, the tone of the song. And I love the synthesizer solo. I thought that was really cool. And of course, I like his voice a lot and I like the lyrics. And I, I was thinking that it it's such a short little kind of a scenario though you know it's not really a story it's just it's more kind of like this is this is how he feels in this one spot at this one time and uh, i thought thought it would make a great haiku you know because haikus are you know specifically about you know a seasonal sort of a thing the the actual traditional haiku not the 575 stuff but it's just a really nice evocative kind of a situation and yeah i enjoyed the song a lot it was a good song. I, I thought it was very ethereal. It, it felt like it was not otherworldly, but like he's definitely in a bit of a dream state. And I didn't really uh, think about it while I was listening that it was about his daily commute. It was just more of like a trippy song. And then I read the song bio and went, oh, wow, I wasn't anywhere close on what I was thinking <laughs> where this was going. During a listening party, I'm doing a lot of things. So I'm sort of letting the songs wash over me. And in the car, I'm not paying attention as tight as I should. But this morning, I just went through all of them again, and while I was reading the song, Bosm, yep, wasn't even close. <laughs> but I did like it. It was very trippy, and I liked the layering towards the end. It integrated the, t the counting very nicely, so I thumbs up for me. All right, next up we have Jocko Homomorphism with Discretion. Count the hours Master waiting All my powers Captivating. I know you just can't break me down. One, two, three, four, rounded back the contour. Nine, eight, ten, six, feeling my helix. One, two, three, four, rounding back the contour. Nine, eight, ten, six, feeling my helix. Don't you have right. a joke about jazz, Ryan? 
Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of, it's, I think it's more of a anecdote. I think I got it in a movie or something. Is this the one we're talking about? Close enough for jazz. Oh yeah. It's like they're, they're getting ready to play a song or something like this, this jazz combo. And one of them turns to the other, you, you got your guitar in tune and this grizzled old guitar player goes close enough for jazz. And then they start playing. <laughs> I love that. But yeah, but no, this is this is great. It's jazz. It's I, I thought the instruments were, were they weren't great, you know. They were a little maybe because they were retro or you know they they weren't like nice crisp sample sounds or anything like that. But they were okay. They were fine for what for what the song was. But it sounded like synth stuff, which you know again we we've, we've made this comment before. You you guys had a full week and an unlimited budget. Right. You would know, it have you killed could... you to have hired a jazz band? Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, uh, the song itself, those six, eight switches to four, four for the chorus and then back for the verses, which is really nice and it's done really well. And uh, I don't know. I thought it was a charming song that uh, that lyric master waiting. Gotcha. And then um, the song itself is about modular arithmetic and elliptic curves in cryptography. So basically, it's a song for our friend Brian. Yeah, pretty heavy stuff in the math there, which I don't pretend to understand any of that. But you didn't really have to because the lyrics aren't super complicated and get to the gist of things nicely. That line, I know you can't break me down, sort of gets to the difficulty of factoring, which is at the heart of these encryption schemes that make breaking the code really hard to do because you have to factor these really large prime numbers. So that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. I had also had a problem with the VST instruments. They're just a little bit shrill in places. I think I would have knocked some of the high end off with an EQ. Yeah. And I had I had to adjust the volume several times when listening because I wanted to hear the lyrics, but I didn't want to be blasted by the jazz. So, mm-hmm. but uh, I enjoyed the song and I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I guess I kind of like jazz. <laughs> I like the uh, phrase blasted by the jazz, actually. That's kind of fun. Um, I, I love the jazzy start that it did. Uh, it, the vibraphone or whatever that was, was unexpected. I wasn't expecting to go down line. So it was a nice touch. And um, I was a little thrown off by the type signature because it, it felt like it was odd to me, but it fit in for the challenge of the song using the math and the cryptology, but it didn't sit well for replays i guess with me so it's like well i got into the jazz by the time i got towards the end my brain just wasn't it was getting dissonant for me so <laughs> i didn't always play them all the way through even though i go i love this intro and then it's like oh where's it going oh it didn't quite but i love the song i just replayability was not quite there for me yeah blasted by the jazz yeah i think i jazz think, all over me <laughs> i think this is what jocko has to use for a t-shirt slogan <laughs> jocko homomorphism blasted by the jazz all right. all right on that note next up we've got bucket hat bobby matheson with counting dice with no advantage roll 13 to hit and 3d4s for damages or pray for a crit a two and two ones means i did barely shit but that's how the game is played with my modifier i hit for a five and i'll be lucky if i make it out of this room alive it's five gold for a healing kit so try to survive at least until the party gets paid 
Entrusting your life with seven little dice in varying amounts. But no matter how you roll, it's having fun that counts. It's hard to keep track. This is a cute and fun song. It's got that sort of sing-song kids melody, which is a little bit at odds with the word shit appearing in the first verse, but, you know, I think it still works. I like the accordion. The accordion sounds pretty accordion-esque to me, so that's good. I like how he packs in all of his counting into the verse, and to some degree, the kids' song thing sort of wears on me after a while. Almost like, you know, you're going to hear this on Barney or some other kids' show that would sort of drive me crazy and... D&D is not my favorite topic. I admit that I played D&D in high school and I was one of those nerds, but since then D&D has become so incredibly popular, I'm just a little bit tired of hearing about it. That doesn't stop this song from being sort of a cute and fun song. Yeah, I thought it was a nice, you know, nice little ditty here. I think we reviewed a different D&D song by somebody else during a different podcast, and I can't remember exactly which one that was. But I like this one a lot better. Uh, I think it's a lot more listenable, and it's nice, and it's kind of cute and charming, and that has value. I'm not trying to, you know, cute and charming can be used as a, <laughs> or cute anyway, can be used as a bit of an insult these days. Yeah, but, backhanded uh, but no. compliment. But I think it achieved what he was going for, I think is what I'm trying to say. And I liked it, yeah. Yeah, I like this song too. I mean, during the listening party, I don't listen to them ahead of time. I might have, get an in and out just to make sure I've got something on it, but I'm not actually listening to any of the songs. And I just shouted, D&D, when fucking that started. <laughs> I went, oh, this is going good. And then I really enjoyed the way it came together. I was surprised more people didn't do D&D with the dice angle, but I think they were the only ones this time around that did it. The chorus had a really nice hook, and he hit the challenge right on nail on the head right there so this was one of the top songs of the round for me yeah it's a good one all right let's move on to steve stearns with the fibonacci sequence laying on a bone wrote a book liver of a chain in tuscany in the 13th century he discussed geometry he saw symmetry that he applied to breeding bunnies start with none then you add a one Another one you get to is a Fibonacci sequence. Every number is the sum of the two before. I thought it was a great song. It's very schoolhouse rock, and I, I read the uh, bio for it, and that's what he was going for. So, yeah, he's he, very successful that way. There's something that I don't like about his microphone tone, and I'm not sure what it is. Like, maybe he's not close enough to the microphone. I'm not entirely sure, but it, it sort of it doesn't matter. You know, this is still one of the best songs of the round, even though it's all keyboards. That electric piano sounds so good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I like this whole thing. You know, I, I might be predisposed to not really be into educational content songs, but this one I just could not think anything negative about. Just the dense rhymes and the infectious counting groove. The chorus is just so good. 
Yeah, I played this song when it came on. I listened to it, and when it ended, I back up and play it again. Mm. That's how much I like this song. So yeah, this is one of my favorites as well. Again, I've never heard of Steve Stearns before this contest, and I feel like I need to go back and listen to some of his other stuff because he reminds me of another one of my favorite artists, Ben Folds, who's like another piano playing guy. And uh, yeah, his grooves are just fantastic. Yeah, no, I like Steve a lot. I saw some of his earlier stuff in earlier rounds and just went, he's got a feel that I like. This one, he hit the beat. I love the groove from start one, and that organ just made that sound. The song just popped right out after that. Silly me, though, when I actually read the bio, I didn't pick up on the Schoolhouse Rock connection. I went, duh, it makes total (laughs) sense. But I just took it as, oh, this is a good song, and I just, as, as a learning experience, and I didn't even pick up that it was under that you know that level so three was, is a magic number <laughs> I, and it's not as easy to do those we the one of the first ones buffa yucks dudes did was three is an evil number and it's <laughs> very stupid and ugly by the time it got done because <laughs> hey you know we know everything we can do a great song it'll only take like 15 minutes right <laughs> 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 no you yeah. learn the hard way yeah perhaps you're not you're full of it uh, i liked steve's song a lot and uh, it's one of the top songs of the round for me All right, um, next up we've got Faster Jackalope with the song Limerence. Is that a real word? It is. I looked it, it up. What does it, it mean? Is now. <laughs> it's like this obsessive crush. <sighs> if somebody has romantic thoughts about somebody all the time and it kind of gets a little obsessive, then that's apparently what limerence is. And it's, it's sort of like this state of mind that people can go through. And, you know, if you read the lyrics, it kind of like reflects that. They're counting off the levels or the states that they go into thinking about these romantic thoughts about somebody. At least that's how I yeah. interpreted it. So, I don't know. Until Glennie comes in in the chorus and intervenes and tries to cheer him up. Yeah, I, I thought it started off with kind of like that Ricky Don't Lose That Number beat. You know, the is that doom, that's that, that whole, you know, all of that stuff. And I, and I like that. But then the lush guitar comes in with that great lead vocal work kind of Alan Parsons-y vocal, uh, just fantastic, just wonderful. I thought it was a great song. Maybe a little safe, though. Again, I think that there are a lot of these, even the ones we've heard so far, are a little safe, didn't really do anything dramatic uh, all that much. But I, I still like the song a whole lot, and whoever's doing the lead vocals, great, great stuff. Yeah, I wasn't clear if that was Truth or someone else, but the lead vocal lines on the verse are really, really good. It's got this sort of R.E.M. kind of melancholy 
Uh, maybe like the Smiths, which I guess makes sense for the whole limerence concept. I like when Glennie comes in on the chorus and sort of breaks up that melancholy with a more upbeat sort of tone. It's a nice break from the moodier verse bits. The instrumentation, like you mentioned, is fantastic. I love Glennie's like dreamy slide guitar playing. The strings sound really good. There's all of these counter melodies that are bouncing around in my headphones on later choruses. Just great production, wonderful melodies and singing. I'm okay with safe when it's this good. Oh yeah, yeah. This is also one of my uh, favorites. And then even though it's you know well over four minutes, it never dragged for me. Yeah, I enjoyed this one. It, it gave a very trippy mood. And it, when I was here doing the LP, it, it got me swaying back and forth with the twangy guitar, the laid back vocals, and uh, thumbs up on the layered production. You just kind of like feel it wave over you that it wasn't overpowering. You just sort of like caught the wave and just enjoyed it. Yeah. All right, next up we've got Rob from Amersfoort with Count Me Out. Rob's instrumentation and music is always interesting, and this has his trademark Mellotron, some backwards sounds, his electric piano stabs, and his creepily whispered multi-track vocals, so this is another classic Rob from Amersfoort track. And to my ears, it sounds a lot like some of his other tracks I've heard from him, and I have that same experience that Tommy had earlier where I'm pretty sure, you know, I could take another song that he's done in a previous spin tunes contest and paste these vocals on them and it would still kind of work (laughs) so what i'd like to hear from rob is to hear him sing in a fuller voice and less of that super close mic'd whisper singing that he kind of does and i know that it sucks to have neighbors who are like close and you don't want to bother them with tracking vocals a lot but If there's a way that he could record some fuller voice singing, I think it would be interesting to hear what that would sound like. (laughs) It's like like your advice is, be less like Rob from Amersfoort. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Be less you. That's what I'd like to hear. Yeah, this is like Micah's criticism. Be less you. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, yeah, so it's very, you know, recognizably Rob from Amersfoort, but he uses the voice setting on this one on his Mellotron instead of the uh, the more kind of typical Beatles. What is that? Is that the, the horns or the uh, flute setting? I think setting? it's the flute or, setting is the, yeah. is the one we're all really familiar with. Yeah, and, and I think that he uses that plenty of times, but this time it's the voice setting, and I think he uses it really, really well. And I noticed, and it's, and you know, I, I noticed that it's a little bit different. And like you mentioned, the backwards recordings, he uses a lot of backwards drums in this one, and I thought that was very interesting. The lyrics are fine. They're maybe not the strongest of this round, but there's nothing wrong with them. They're not bad. They meet the challenge perfectly well, and they're interesting to read. And, yeah. um, and yeah, I think they so have a works. common Rob theme, which is like somebody is annoying him. 
<laughs> and that's the only thing that's wrong with this song. <laughs> it's so Rob. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 yeah, it's this is very typical for his portfolio, and it's fine and it's good. It's and very I well enjoyed. done. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Uh, I love Rob stuff. I mean, Rob has a distinctive style. If anybody has picked up on that yet, uh, <laughs> the, the amount of songs he's done in this venue, this you know, area of of expertise, we'll put it. You know it's his song from the first verse. There's just no two ways around it. And I like it. It's kind of soothing, kind of dissonant, but it works for me. And I thought somewhere in there I heard a backwards anvil hit for percussion, <laughs> which which surprised me, but I'm going, but it fit in the song. So I'm going, I don't know what the mind process is, but I'm going, overall, when it plays, I'm, eh, good song. I like it. So that's thumbs yeah. up. Yeah. All right, next up we've got Vowel Sounds with Blood on the Tracks. I get the pun of the title, and I guess that's fine. The lyrics are creepy and unpleasant. They're written well, and they're sung well, but it's it's sort of an unpleasant scenario. It's an unpleasant story. You know, the songwriting and the recording is lovely, you know, as, as is usual for them. And Owl's singing is beautiful, and uh, Vom's guitar work is sweet. And this is you know, obviously one of the better songs of the round, but... It's kind of, you know, I bring up this comparison every once in a while, but it's kind of like the night the lights went out in Georgia. You know, it's like such an unpleasant sort of a scenario that regardless of how nice the song sounds, I I don't I don't like it, (laughs) you know. So the song is beautiful. It's very well done. It's a quality, good song, one of the strongest in the round. But I don't really want to put it on my playlist. I'm with you. I really love the production. It's got that super gorgeous, clean, shimmery guitar sound that Vom is known for. And I loved Owl's voice on this as well. It's just clear and strong and lovely as usual. And there are a lot of great production touches. Like, you can hear these wind chime sounds at like 1 minute 35. And then there's this delicate ride cymbal pattern that's right around the 2 minute mark. There's all sorts of great things to listen for and to hear which is, you know, nice as a listener to pick up on some of that stuff. And, you know, I don't mind a story that ends in a hail of bullets, but, like, I don't get (laughs) how you got from, you know, we met, we broke up, and then there was a hail of bullets. Like, you know, I just don't understand how you got from point A to point Z on that. So the, the pun, I think it's called Blood on the Tracks because, you know, the bullets hit the jukebox, and it's like the tracks on the jukebox like you know like audio tracks whatever yeah also 
Dylan's album, Blood on the Tracks, is considered to be one of the all-time best breakup albums. And this is a breakup song, so I guess that's another tie-in for the title. Uh, sort of, it's a reference to that. But yeah, I didn't get this lyrically, and I wasn't disturbed by it. I just was like, huh? It's like, okay, we met girl meets boy, girl and boy break up, and then there's blood. There was a few songs uh, in this round where what was actually the lyrics and the music were almost total opposites. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And it depends whether you like that juxtaposition or not. I mean, lush arrangement. Owl's voice melts the tune like butter. There's no two ways about it. The vibra slap was nice in the background. Counterpoint with the background vocals. It's just like, it just sounded like a nice, pretty tune. But then when you actually pay attention to the lyrics, you go, where the hell is this going? So is background music, it's like, oh, this is nice and soothing. But when you get into what the actual words mean, it's not something you're going to repeat over and over again, I guess. And not every song needs to have that. But in this case, I probably wouldn't play it as many times as some of their earlier tunes because of the dissonance of that, I guess. Mm. Yeah. All right. Next up, we've got the quantifiers with the terrible trivium. The terrible trivium asks a terribly trivial task. Milo, move the sand from here to here. With tweezers. So Milo moved a grain of sand, and Milo moved a second. And Milo moved a third and fourth. And days and weeks and reckon. And after quite a while, he barely made a pile. You can count to stupendous amounts, and you can count them back down to one. But you'll have found in the end if it counts, or if your progress amounts to none. It might be easy and it might be fun, but you can count on getting nothing done. I like some of the vocal melodies in this song, but there's not a lot of change-ups for your ear, and it goes for over four minutes without really a sizable change-up. It was kind of hard for me with sparse instrumentation. I think you can make that work by changing things up a bit and to have some variation to break up some of the tedium. But this song just was relentlessly samey all the way through and it just honestly didn't hold my attention. And I don't know the story of Milo and the Phantom Tollbooth, so I didn't have anything to latch on to with that and maybe it would have been better if I did. But this was a pretty frequent skip for me after about a minute or so. So not my favorite this round. As a side note, I recently rewatched the movie, The Phantom Tollbooth, or at least I tried to. It's pretty unwatchable. It's hard to kind of sit through. It's it's not as good as the book. I think that's the main thing. The book is, of course, I haven't read it for decades, but I seem to remember that the book was pretty enthralling and the movie is terrible. But one of the things that I like about this song is I like the continuity with the previous entry from them. I, I kind of yeah. like the idea of holding a thematic line throughout one competition uh, the way that of course the owl sounds did in Nurein, and kind of how 
you know, more or less Agony Sauce did too, at least with the, with the thought, with the gimmick. Uh, I, I like that whole idea. And so, you know, props to them for that. But this is very lo-fi. And uh, like you mentioned, it's just voice and keyboard. They're good lyrics, but the vocal performance is so timid. And we've said this before, fuck your neighbors. You have to bring it with a vocal performance, all right? I don't care if your neighbors can hear you or not. This is for posterity. This is this is going out into the world, and you have at least this audience who's going to be hearing it, some of them several times. So just belt it out. Just give your best vocal performance. This sounds like a couple of people more or less whispering into a microphone and very timid. So yeah, fuck your neighbors. That's If you take anything from this podcast just remember that but yeah and the mixing and mastering is pretty non-existent i think this song i think would be a lot better with a lot more instrumentation and effort and because you know the the bones are great you know the 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 melody's good the lyrics are good the structure and the you know the way that the chords move throughout the song is, is perfectly perfectly fine there's nothing wrong with that at all it's just the execution has problems this song for me kind of comes down to the concept for how are the judges going to judge? Is it a song writing contest or a song production contest? And depending on how you feel, that's going to either ding you or move you forward. I mean, there are so many people that are really good at production, but kind of weak at writing the songs. They have the lyrics and they, they got the heart of the matter. They got the phantom toll booth. They had some great lines that you can count on nothing getting done. The futility of what's going on with the book. Nail that. Perfect right there. But if you're going for a production side, they don't quite have the tools to make that happen. So this is where I love the concept. I love the writing, but it doesn't really bear for repeated plays because the production value isn't quite there. So how do you balance that? Yeah, I would argue that it's a result challenge. And, you know, sometimes the value of a song can easily overcome uh, the drawbacks of a poor production quality. Like, you know, I love Daniel Johnson and I believe that Chumpy does too. And, you know, that sounds like he just sat down with an out of tune, you know, half accordion and a Radio Shack cassette player and you know just pressed you could hear them click the clicking of the buttons in some of those old recordings but there's just so much charm and soul in what he was doing that you know we'd still listen to those songs over and over and over again so if if something like that pops up then then yeah sure i think daniel johnson didn't give a fuck what his neighbors thought yeah that's true But the main thing is, it's like, you know, we liked what he ended up with and what got onto his CDs and his cassettes or whatever. When it comes to this, it's like, fortunately, we're not judging. So I don't have to say we have to judge on that. But I would say that the judges have to judge on what's in front of them. And what's in front of them is this wave file. All right, let's move on to, oh, Jesus, you're going to make me pronounce this. Good guy. Yeah, please. Good guy, Sojabe. It's Bay, because they actually, I think, in the last one did a phonetic version. With their song, The Wire.
is good 90s indie rock you know that's good writing and good performances this isn't my favorite genre but you know i can appreciate that it's a good solid enough song i like the the metal guitar riff at the beginning it's like dun 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 i feel like i'm marching on a horsey like with my sword in the battlefield and you know that chugging guitar riff at the start is just it's a nice palate cleanser from after the quantifiers so I, I liked it for that. I, th- I like the verse and the chorus, and I think they're pretty good. But by the time we got to the bridge, things began to fall apart a little bit. I think the lyrics are a little bit first drafty, and in the bridge, the rhymes are a little bit weaker. And I feel like they're trying to squeeze too many syllables into the lines, and there's some weird overlap. I do like the somewhat restrained and non-shreddy guitar solo. And overall, I like this song. But I'm not sure I want to listen to it a lot. But I would put it in the top half of songs in this group, for sure. When I first heard it, I thought I was playing Demner, so I had to double check to make sure. (laughs) (laughs) I went, wait a minute, is this the right thing I'm playing? But uh, love the driving guitars at the start. I kept coming back to the guitar counterpoint after the chorus. It was a really nice touch. It's like, okay, that extra guitar that came in, nice little high little mini solo in there went, all right, this is cool. I kept replaying this one. This one stayed in my uh, my replay bin. All right, moving along, we've got Governing Dynamics with Get Lost. One, two, thoughts that I think. Three, four, shots that I drink. Five, six, hours in my head. Seven, eight, dreams recollected. Nine, ten, subtext inspected. well-executed and serious song. Although for a song that seems to have a lot of emotional content in it, it really didn't move me personally. I'm not really sure why that is, but I could feel like there's a lot of emo happening in this song. I like that line, why does time and distance work the way it does? And we, we keep talking about counter melodies, and there are some counter melodies with that line that I liked. And uh, they come in in the later choruses, which I think is a good songwriting technique to sort of build and change choruses to add some variation. I thought that was really well. I thought that the uh, intimate multi-tracked vocals, they worked well to create a mood and feeling. And the song was seemed to be over just kind of right when it got started for me. So maybe a little bit abrupt there, but this is just another good song that I don't think worked particularly well for me. I felt the same way you did about the vocal layering. I thought that was really, really good. The vocals and the way that the harmonies, or at least the vocal layering, happens is particularly good in the chorus, I thought. The guitar work in this is pretty subtle, you know, and it's not overpowering and it's not driving the song, but it's it's just kind of like this nice, subtle accompaniment that's a, a really great choice, I thought. So I like the song. 
but as I mentioned with a lot of these other songs, it's kind of safe. It's a little on the safe side for them. It, it was. I, well, I liked the synths when they came in, and then Travis did do a lot of vocal doubling, but in this one, he, he doubled the vocals, then he doubled them again, and then he counterpoints on them, and then it evolved into a funky chorus. I kind of liked that. But the end was chopped off. It was almost like I got a bad file. I felt like I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be the end of the file and the song or whether there was more and it just got clipped off from the one that got sent in. So I like cold endings, but that one was like... Yeah. (laughs) Literally in the LP, I was was listening and it went right into a promo. Did I do something wrong here? So there's a few times that happens because I'm not listening to them before they happen. So occasionally Dave will once in a while give me a warning, like on the Jerkatorium song last time he said, there's false endings, be aware. (laughs) And I said, Dave, thank you very much, because I would have stopped the song literally at one minute and ten seconds. And the the other was like, why does it go for three and a half minutes? I don't get it. (laughs) I think that that might have been awesome. I remember once uh, I left a play at intermission because I thought it was over. I learned later that I'd missed the whole second act. And I was like, oh, okay, well, it was fine for what it was. <laughs> and, and if you if you missed two thirds of uh, of our last song, you you did all right. <laughs> you got the you got the gist. It's about the future. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to Outlier with their song Napalm. This is more 90s alt-rock, I think. The lead vocals are pretty heavily affected, and there's nothing wrong with that in my book. Uh, You you know I'm not shy about auto-tune and stuff like that. Whatever can get your vocals to where you want them to be, I think is perfectly fair, perfectly a good idea when it comes right down to it. The acoustic guitar work is nice, especially what I'm assuming is the harmonics that kind of go throughout the song. It's really a pretty sound. Uh, I thought this song was good stuff. There's almost a false ending near the end, and that's fine, but I'm not sure it adds anything. I also like the T-Pain-style vocal tuning effects that are used in some places, I have to say with a caveat. Like, creatively using these kinds of effects to pitch certain notes to the extreme I think can work pretty well, and I think in the first verse it actually does work pretty well. But, like, there's this bit in the chorus, like on the line, running out of time. And every time the word time comes up, it's tuned in a really sort of harsh and dissonant way that bugs me every time. And, you know, being that it's an oft-repeated section of the song, it bugged me kind of a lot. So, yeah, I had, I had kind of a mixed reaction to the tuning, which was the sort of the number one takeaway I had from this song. 
Like, when you use something like that, and it's like, I just can't get it out of my head, and I keep, you know, I'm tr maybe trying to focus on other aspects of the song, like the guitar work that Ryan mentioned, and all I'm thinking of is, oh, stop tuning the word time like that. It's driving me crazy. If I had time, what I'd do is when I edit this podcast, I'd go back and do a vocoder over that when you say time, when you complain about it. Well, if I'm I, glad that you're have... just not going to have time to do that. I don't think I'm going to have <laughs> But we'll see. You sounded like Alan Parsons there. <laughs> that was amazing. I, I like the song. I think it builds nicely into like a dark, mysterious place. I thought it was interesting when he did the pitch downward on the word up in the vocals. It kind of threw me. I would have gone up with it, but he's obviously going for an opposite thing on that. So it took me out of the song for a second. I'm going, why is the up going down? But then when the chorus came back in soaring, it was up. Oh, Forget it. I'm back into the song right away. So it was only like a half a second where I gave, is that you doing? Oh, okay. Hey, the song came back in and I like this part. It's an enjoyable tune. And I did see at the end, I thought the false ending was going to end. Then it came back in with just solid vocals and then built back in. So I, yeah. I enjoyed how it kept coming back just that second time. It didn't hurt me. It's like usually when you come back for that, it's like, oh, man, you're overstaying your welcome, I guess. And I didn't feel that. I thought it was just about the right length for the song, what it should be. Yeah. Next up, we've got Mr. Nick Work with Reasons That I Love You. There are a number of reasons I love this song. You stole my line. Sorry. It's in my notes. It's right here. Just extremely well-executed 70s style funk soul pop sort of sound. I don't know how to really characterize it, but I know I've heard this sound before, and it is just pitch perfect. I love Nick's distinctive vocals, and the guitars and bass sound amazing. They're all, like, superbly mixed the solo is perfect. The double-time drums at the end are just a period-appropriate touch. And as I said in the chat, this song is radio-ready if the radio is tuned to the 1970s. And this song just makes me marvel at the depth of talent that the folks in this competition have and how we are so not going to win. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> there might be a tornado or something. <laughs> we can always pray for that. No, this is my favorite of the round. It's just so fun and funky, and it just kind of like bops around, and it's just just, just wonderful stuff. His guitar solo is much better than mine, but I don't resent that all that much. It's a great song. This is uh, fun, and it just uh, such great attitude. Yeah. You know? I, I got so little to say about it because I just enjoy it. It was a very 70s rock r&b vibe that i just loved with this tune it, there was a few of them when i was sitting back doing a listening party because it's like first impressions when you're hearing it i'm just swaying back and forth i just 
I'm loving that part. One thing that threw me, how could you rhyme no and four together? He did it with the accent, but (laughs) (laughs) no and four. I remember once a long time ago, somebody did a really great rhyme, and I think it was Mark Humble, and he did Nietzsche and pizza. And I went, how did you ever come up with that? And it felt natural. This one felt natural when you see it written out. No and Ford are not rhyme, but the way he did it is an off rhyme, and it worked really good. So I give him points for that. The groove was infectious, and it's one of those ones when I'm in the car, it just it, I kept repeating that one. So it, good all around. Yeah, Ryan, who would ever think of rhyming Nietzsche and pizza? Uh, it sounds pretty basic and <laughs> amateur. Ryan did that in college. You have to explain the cartoon, Ryan. Uh, it's it's so dumb. It's just <laughs> we. I, I I used to do cartoons with Brian, you know, our sometime collaborator, and one of them that I did was it's so dumb. <laughs> uh, it, okay, let me. I'll just mention it this way. It's uh, it's just two puns. The first one is Kentucky Freud Chicken instead of Colonel Sanders. It's Freud, but with a. <laughs> But with Colonel he has a Sanders similar hair. beard, right? Yeah, yeah. And right next to Kentucky Freud Chicken is Nietzsche Hut. <laughs> so that's it. That, that's, that's the, the joke. whole joke. That's the whole yeah. joke. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the joke. That, that's, that's all you need. <laughs> that's the best way to end a joke. That's the joke. <laughs> I don't dance here. <laughs> Bananas. <laughs> Should we move on to Ross Durand and his song Don't Blink? Now you turn 13, 14, 15, 16, I can't tell you anything. Well, I can say it, but you won't hear it. I guess you think I'm just muttering. You remember when life was simple, wish you knew it's simple still. Can't wait to see who you're becoming, like I know I will. So I don't blink, cause every little bit counts. Take it all in and let it sink in in large and small amounts. Now you're 17, 18, 19, 20, out in the world you go. You don't look back, but I can't stop watching. Life ain't simple, don't you know? And I don't blink, cause every little bit counts. I take it all in and let it sink in in large and small amounts, but who's counting? This is a lovely song. You know, it's very sappy. It's very, very sappy, but it's still lovely. You know, if Jerkatorium was doing this song, I would have picked a better fake string section and I would have saved the strings uh, to come in at the chorus instead of where they come in during one of the verses. And we probably would have cut the whistling, but, you know, these are all very, very minor and petty sort of nits to pick. So it's still a lovely, beautiful, sappy song. But yeah, uh, different strings, cut the whistling, add a clav and an arpeggiator, and uh, <laughs> you're all set. I would be arguing with you, Ryan. My notes say that the strings are beautiful, and I like the glockenspiel, and the whistling solo is perfect. So well, you're, you're often wrong. We're <laughs> yes, but never in doubt. <laughs> But yeah, this is really well done, and it will probably kill with the judges who have kids and who can relate to the sort of Harry Chapin kind of vibe that it's got going on here. The counting is is really well done. And, you know, I don't have kids, but 
I, and I really don't typically go for sentimental songs, but I, I still like this. And if it worked reasonably well on me, who's kind of jaded, I think it's going to kill with some judges. Yeah, Ross hit this one out of the park, yeah. He, he knows how to do a tearjerker of a song, and he plays with everybody's emotions. And he was running on all cylinders for this one. Great guitar picking. And he's got a voice that's rough and vulnerable at the same time, which is really hard to get because you want him to back you up at a fight, but also he'll shed a tear if there's a baby bird. It's really hard to get both of those at the same time. <laughs> this is one of my top songs. And just Ross has an interesting way of how he puts things together. And it's just enjoyable to listen to these songs. All right, next up we've got Glenn Raphael. Songs of Many. It's, it's Glenn Raphael. Ah, why don't you do the intro for this one, Tommy? Okay, I'll start this one. I'm keeping all of this. This is gold. <laughs> all right, it's Glenn Raphael. How many singers has this song? Just one, just one. Cause nobody sang along. has this song now it's two true blue friends just harmonizing three can make a chord or another chord that's what three can do I'm gonna say I like the concept here, especially when Glenn kept adding himself in another verse. But when I read the uh, fact that he was going to go up to five, I am so happy you stopped at three. (laughs) Three was perfect number. It's satisfying without getting annoying and getting too complicated. The harmonies were great. The first voice was a little overmodulated in the first part, but from what I understand, he was doing the whole thing on his iPhone (laughs) again. So I'm not going to quibble about that. This was one of my top songs. He, he did a great job with this. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I think this is a great, great song. And I think it's so good that I resent the recording issues. You know, he gets way off time in a couple of spots. And it sounds like the mic goes in and out at one point on one of the vocal tracks. Great lyrics, great music. You know, please re-record this song and add a bridge. After even that many verses, it gets a little samey. So I love the song. I thought it started out strong. I thought the timing issues distracted me a little bit, but you know, I can see the quality in there, the, the wonderful, wonderful quality in there. Mix it up a little with the bridge, and yeah, follow my instructions for all of your songs, by the way. No kidding. But yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great song. I just wish it was recorded a little better. Glenn, before, did a song called Gorilla My Dreams, which is nothing but gorilla puns, and that was one of his better tunes. And this is up there. So Glenn, this is one you need to figure out how to do on stage, on the Joko boat, if you can figure out how to sing along with yourself. That would be perfect. One of the things that really impressed me about this song is just Glenn's guitar picking is so strong. It reminds me of Elliot Smith, and his guitar just sounds great. The solo is is nice and pretty and clean. The lyrical content is somewhat meta, but, you know, I think goes fine with the song. And some of the harmonizing is really just beautiful, but... It gets a little hectic and chaotic and muddled 
with the three voices when they begin to all kind of do their own thing towards the end of the song. So maybe tightening that up a little bit would be nice. But yeah, this is another strong song. I'd hate to see what he would do with like some real tools. Oh, you mean like like Logic or Audacity or something like that? Yeah, I'm, just I'm having more control. Huh. I don't know if you've ever used the iPhone GarageBand, but every time I've just wanted to pull my hair out, it's like it's really oh, yeah. hard to use. I bought an iPad just so that I could do music while I was traveling because uh, I travel a bit for work. And that iPad has been sitting on you know the shelf just gathering dust for years now because I hate the interface. The user interface, it's, it's like all of the stuff that I do in Logic and that I did in GarageBand, it's either not easy or not intuitive or it's just not set up the same way. You know, the piano roll is hard to use. They want people to tap a screen. And I don't, I don't want to tap a screen. I want to plug stuff in like I do here. So, yeah, anyhow. So, Apple, we hate you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Next up, we've got Temnir with Cynic's Anxiety. I like the intro to the song a lot. It starts with this countdown and it's building up to some excitement. And then right as I expect the song to blast off into some metal fury, it like defies my expectation and then it's all mellow and it launches into this sort of lower energy verse section. And all of that energy stays pretty low until we build up for a countdown again at which point it goes into the solo. And that's when the energy peaks up, and that's probably my favorite part of the song. You get the solo, and then you get these some like blast beats on drums, and it ends up with these sort of up-tempo, angry Beavis vocals. This is metal. Good stuff. I just wish it didn't start out so slow. If you're going to do a countdown and not blast off, that's just going to make me go, uh. And that's what I did. That you went, start. uh. I went, uh. Ugh. Where's my blast off, Temnir? <laughs> I, I like using the rocket countdown, but I was surprised when I was reading it ties into serfdom in space. Yeah. Which was a very interesting concept, but I was not thinking that when it's like I let the music wash over me when I was listening to it. Didn't really make a lot of sense of the words. And then I read the song bio and I went, Elon Musk, family's going to Mars, indebtedness. Where'd that one come from? I was not getting that out of the song, but it works when you read the lyrics and now know the backstory. I love the bold guitars. I love the heavy drums. It hit my happy place, but I definitely, just listening in the car, did not pick all that up that I got in the song bio. Yeah, you really needed the song bio in order to to fully understand what he was going for. Heavy Temnir, good stuff, I thought. 
Uh, it's quality metal, wonderful performances, as is typical for Temnir, and you know, great singing. The singing is so solid, so good on this. Very ambitious lyrics. 80s synthesizers, you know, make that <laughs> appearance, which uh, which was great because they're kind of you know they're kind of epic. But yeah, very ambitious song, not safe. You know, I mentioned that uh, a lot of the songs I thought played it really safe. This one did not. This one was going all out, I felt, to its credit, obviously. But yeah, so I, I like this song. And, uh, you know, just so full and epic and going balls out. And, you know, I, I just don't envy whatever band has to follow them on this playlist. <laughs> So who's up next? Do you, next. Want, do you want me to introduce yeah, you? Yeah, why don't you sure, do yeah. that, Tommy? All right. So coming up next is Jerkatorium with 8-Bit Love. Hey, babe, I got a clever hack that's guaranteed to pop your stack. You know I can help you understand. All my 8-Bits are set. I'll go first so that then you can say how you feel about your own song. Sounds good. Does that sound exactly? Yeah. There's nothing more awkward than actually, hey, here's what I liked about my own song. It's really good, and we put so much effort into it, and then somebody comes and goes and craps all over it. Yeah, you guys really did that good, and here's all your mistakes. Played it safe. (laughs) Hold on, let me replace everything you've said to everybody else. I'm now channeling all 26 people that are listening to these reviews. Excellent. But okay. I'm going to say uh, what I actually wrote down, which is I thought it was poppy fun. I like the happy backing vocals, the bouncing guitars. It was another one of those songs when I was in the listening party. I'm moving. My head's bopping back and forth. And not all of them did that. This was one of those ones. I, and I laughed at the ones as a math joke, which I'm sure you appreciated. I liked the programming jokes as well. And you did manage to get the lyrics in so they weren't too clunky because uh, it very easily could have been that way. But the vocals felt like they flowed OK, which which I liked. I did like that the personal relationship, it felt like it was about a boy and a girl and it could have been that way. And then you switched it to being a boy and a computer. And the dad says, get the hell out of the house, get some fresh air type thing. What are you doing? <laughs> that felt like a good resolution to where the song went. So overall, thumbs up on the song. I'm, I'm glad you liked it. But yeah, me, I, it, I'm i not a computer guy, so I don't even totally get what this song is about, but I'm happy enough with how it turned out. This was a, a very chumpy heavy song because it's so computer heavy. I do love the very, very end where uh, I, I get the impression that the, the father's yelling at, at the son and he just kind of inelegantly runs out screaming, one, 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 one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know like... like like some weirdo little geeky kid so yeah but i think any real commentary about this has to come from you chumpy yeah well initially i have been watching all of these videos on youtube 
by this gentleman named Ben Eater, and it's all about designing an 8-bit computer from scratch. And so I've had all this computer stuff in my head while I was trying to come up with some lyrics. And with counting, I wanted to count in powers of two because, you know, the the whole 8-bit binary math kind of thing. So you know how in regular decimal numbers you have like the ones place, the tens place, the hundreds place, etc. Well, in powers of two, it's 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, etc. So I wanted to use that as counting, and then I just kind of came up with the whole 8-bit love hook. And then I tried to figure out what that might mean. And... In Jerkatorium, we really don't do straight-ahead love songs. There's always got to be some sort of twist or some sort of... Just something to, to take it out of the boring love song realm. So I wanted it to sound like it was about a guy and a girl. And then to have it, by the time the song was over, realize it was just some kid obsessed with a computer and it's kind of lame. <laughs> so you, you You did a song like that a while ago where... A love story starts happening and they end up blowing up the space station or something like that. <laughs> you know All right, yeah, you, you, you can't go for normal. You guys like, hey, we'll start that way and then let's destroy everything, you know, in the whole story. So that works out good. Yep. One thing about this song is um, this is just sort of a, a public service announcement. You really should listen to your song before you submit it with crappy earbuds because that will really inform your mix decisions. And I felt like the verse vocals were way too loud on earbuds, and it almost sounded like they were pasted on to the song. If I had to do it over again, I would definitely bring them down like 4 dB. And my favorite part of the song is Ryan's clean solo, which I think is sweet. Thank you. I think the... I'm going to say, I think the vocal performance is the best part of the song. La, 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 la. (laughs) We're going to do some log rolling here. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank God that's over. All right, then next up we have Ominous Ride with Seven Naughty Children. They had no school and no supervision, and they had no rules and a wicked disposition. Mama had to stay inside and work all day, so she sent her seven children out to play. Twelve year old Gail was a mischievous gal, had a penchant for a matchless play. Her mama always wanted what Gail would. One day she found a book of matches and she took them to a neighbor's barn filled with hay. Alas, bad fortune for Gail. The moment the flame hit the bale, confined to a fire in jail with the walls closing in. And she never came home again. This is also absolutely not in the safe category, not in that safe column that I was complaining about before. Not really complaining about, but just kind of observing before. I really admire it for the risks that were taken with this song. This reminds me a lot of the Gashly Crumb Tinies by Edward Gorey. Stop reading my uh, notes. Okay, yeah, well, it, it's, it's pretty, I think it's pretty clear for anybody who's familiar with the Gashly Crumb Tinies. But yeah, the bulk of the melody and instrumentation is kind of throwaway whatever, you know? It's just kind of like, well, okay, we're going to have this dun to chink it dun to chink it dun to chink it So yeah, but still that fits for the song, you know, so that's fine, I think. The first time it switches between sections, it does so really, really badly. It's really rough. It looks like, it, I mean, it feels kind of like it was 
really sloppily spliced in there for the first one anyway and that's not good but you know the song is what it is it's kind of funny the way Gashley Crump Tinies is kind of funny uh, morbid children dying horribly is uh, is pretty funny so yeah I'm right. into it I think this is going to kill with a different set of judges than, than Ross Duran's song will <laughs> kill I get it yeah so it also reminded me of the Gashley Crump Chinese quite a lot there's a pile of really strong rhymes in the song and occasional bits of flowery language that get sprinkled in that I really like like that line Gale had a penchant for the matches flame just really cool I actually like the abrupt music when each child meets their end. Like, it abruptly turns dark, and it threw me the first time. But after a while, you know, you you sort of get used to it. Uh Uh-oh, another kid's gonna, like, you know, get bitten by a viper or something terrible's going to happen to them. And it was a nice relief from that really happy piano melody. So, it's cute. And, you know, you don't even realize that it's over five minutes. Well, maybe you do, but I don't know. It was fun, and it's really well written, so I appreciate all of the really strong rhymes in it. And I like this one, too. I liked the transitions and that there were transitions. I just thought the first one, there's a big click in there or something, or maybe the timing is bad or something. It really seems like it's a, a little sloppy. But yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I was thinking Shel Silverstein, second he started. I went, 60s folk songs. And then I held back because... I could tell there's a twist coming up. I knew this couldn't stay this little happy song, and I was not disappointed. They went dark. <laughs> they went. They slipped to a minor key, then popped back up to the happy <laughs> tune after the kid dies. I'm going, all right, you handle this first, and then I'm glad they didn't do each death individually. They actually clustered them, so the thing worked out into like threes, because we could have been here forever, and it was a five-minute tune. <laughs> but it didn't feel like a five-minute tune. It was very well done. Thumbs up. Is one of my favorites this round because they took you to a place you sort of knew where you were going and led you there, but they led you there with style and panache. Yeah. All right, next up we've got Mandibles with Breathe. Cybronica's voice here is probably my favorite thing about the song. As you know, or maybe you don't know, that Cybronica is a trained opera singer, and we've certainly heard her just belt it out with real power and just, you know, the opera over-the-top vibrato and just 
really bringing it. But here, she's really restrained and really controlled. And it's perfect for the more solemn mood of this song. So her singing is just so good on this song. And the harmony vocals that Estefonia, those harmony vocals slot in perfectly. And the band is playing just really well too. They're firing on all cylinders. There's this beautiful slide guitar playing and their bass tone is really sweet. And right about in the four minute mark where it's just Estefonia and Cybronica and then the bass kind of comes in to bring the best to lead the rest of the band back into the song. That's like a, a really sort of a chill inducing moment right there. It's just really great. And this is, you know, in my top three for this round. This is just a fantastic song. I think Cybronica's story of her sort of panic attack at night and calling her parents and just the way that she does the breathing exercise to sort of calm herself. It's a neat idea for a song and, you know, it's personal and I, I really like this song. I think this is definitely one of the top three this round. Absolutely. I, I love, love, love this song. The slide guitar is almost always a good idea in my book, and here it sounds really, really nice. The verses are super nice, and then the chorus is so beautiful. It's just uh, just a real heavenly vocal performance and just fabulous work all around. I just love this song. As with most songs that I am just a super fan of, I don't have anything really critical to say about it, so I don't have much to say about it other than I just thought it was beautiful and I love it. I had a problem. Oh. Mandibles made me really mad with the song. Because <laughs> so? the music is too damn pretty. Oh. Because you got beautiful harmonies, great chorus, overall instrumentation is it's a great emotional song, totally at odds with what they're talking about, which creates a tension you wouldn't usually get. And it fit the song way too well because that's the singer's dilemma is the fact you've got this really beautiful song but i'm scared crapless on what's going on and it flowed so well so i'm sitting listening it's like all right it's a nice happy song and then you get into the actual meaning of the lyrics and you go oh it's a really terrifying song <laughs> but you can't get away from it i mean i love the song it's one of my favorite songs but i'm just mad because they make it look so damn easy and it's a really pretty song. And, you know, it's, it's so good that you can't envy, you know, whoever's next on the playlist to follow that. That'd just be terrible. Uh, it's going to oh. suck for them. <laughs> yes. Oh, you mean Bafu Yucks Dudes with When the Band Counts Down? Yeah, that one. I think you can understand Waiting for your favorite band To break into your favorite song You wish it wouldn't take so long One, two, three, four When the band counts down You can't wait for that sound Your great anticipation melts away Your aggravation When the band counts down when you go out to see them play you wish that they could stay all day Need so much more than you can say to hear that count when you hit play one two three four. when the band counts down you can't wait for that sound your great anticipation
so the, the intro to that song is really cool. There's some really iconic countdowns in there. I don't recognize all of them, but I recognize a number of them. And I don't know who's singing on this particular Bafo Yux Dude song, but I really like his voices. To me, he sounds kind of like a little bit like Jello Biafra, and I'm sort of getting an early 80s punk vibe from this song, which I like. And, you know, it's funny, when I was first approaching this song, I had a very similar idea for doing the same thing. Because, you know, one of the things that I really love about the Ramones is the energetic, you know, one, two, three, four, you get at the start of the song, which is always super exciting. And I think this song manages to capture some of that. And you also do the four, three, two, one count. And, you know, this song's pretty quick. It comes in at under two minutes, but it does what it needs to do and then just sort of gets out of your way. And so, yeah, I, I like this song. I didn't want to skip this one at any point. And, uh, those iconic countdowns at the beginning always like sort of perked up my ears and got me ready for the song. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, me too. I love the energy of this song. It's got these short, short verses that don't keep you waiting for that very catchy chorus, which is sort of a great strategy that I'd never considered before, but definitely going to steal that. We're going to do half-size verses now just to, to get everybody into the hook. And the bridge is perfect for this song, too. You know, my main complaint, though, is that it's so short. I looked at it. It's a minute and 40 seconds plus that initial 15 seconds of samples. So it's one of the shorter ones, but still got great, great, great energy. And, yeah, you're going to have to tell us some of the, the background, who's playing guitar, who's singing, stuff like that. Oh, God. You want the inside baseball? I'm, I'll be giving away a little bit of secrets. This mm -hmm. song literally took... 35 years to make and came together in eight hours. <laughs> okay. All right. A little longer than that, maybe, but anything that went down to tape other than the open, which I did in 1985. 1985, one of my jobs was I did radio station montages. So like the sweepers about, you know, station call letters and things like that. I used to sit with reel-to-reels, a razor blade, and scotch tape and I would analog record and edit all those things. So that's all an analog edit. Well, that's how we do this podcast, too. Yeah, I know. You, <laughs> you, you're all hands-on with it. So I was in the shower on Saturday because, well, earlier in the week, uh, Scott and I and uh, Al were bouncing ideas off. I threw like four different song ideas out, and Scott actually wrote two full songs out for lyrics. And then Al went, yeah, kind of there. You could modify this and tweak this, but I got stuff I got to do, so do something and get back to me. So we ignore each other for the rest of the week until Saturday. Saturday morning, I'm in the shower, and I go, wait a minute, I did that countdown, you know, 35 years ago. That would be a nice hook to start in something and then come up with the idea of the music, but I couldn't come up with any lyrics. So I send Scott, hey, here's my idea. Can you come up with something? And a couple hours later, he sends back all the lyrics for the whole song. So Al gets it, and he's out somewhere because he has an improv comedy group he works with. He's also as a podcast called uh, Mr. Wiggly, uh, Fun and Happy. Oh, God, I should know the whole name. You can edit in right now the actual theme song of Mr. Wiggly's. Mr. Wiggly's. Mr. Wiggly's, which is a whole long name which I never can remember. Come on, everyone, let's go join the fun in Mr. Wiggly's moist and happy friendship garden. It's not far to go. 
and happy friendship garden. Come on and come all, we'll grab you by the balls. In Mr. Wiggly's most happy friendship garden. So Mr. Wiggly's is a great thing, and the new one just came out. That's what he was working on. He didn't have time to do the song. So when he got back home at 8.30 Eastern, he starts to actually work on the music. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave is upset at us because he's going, you know, you're like, you're running out of time. Al sends us a mix at 11.35. And I go, well, that's great. But it doesn't have my open on it. So <laughs> I chop the open on it, mix it over, do another cut, send it in. And we, we made it with like, you know, four minutes to spare or something stupid like oh, that. Oh, that's right, because you're last. We were last. Yeah. We literally went the last second, and it was the seventh idea we had for the week. Wow. I hope people enjoy it. I like where it went and how it came, and I think some of the other ones, especially the one which happened to be about the guy who does the count for Sesame Street, it was going to be something about a fan that was following him around and doing all these things. And I'm going, this just got way too complicated. And, and <laughs> each one of the ideas had a germ of a neat idea, but it just wasn't there. And I'm glad we did not flesh any of them out, really. And this is the one we ended up getting. So this is Mr. Wiggly's Moist and Happy Friendship Garden. Correct. Is that it? Okay. That is it. I will have to listen to some of this. So tell us how you feel about the finished product. So we got, we got the development. I enjoyed the way this came out. Al just hit it out of the park. I'm going, Al, you got no time. We're not getting a song in. What the hell happened here? And he, <laughs> because we don't work directly off a lot of things we do, but Scott this time did a vocal guide track just singing into his phone. And I liked the hook where the band, you know, counts down, almost doing like WNBC where he's changing the emphasis and when it comes in, that Scott came up with. And I'm going, all right, that's a nice little hook. It catches your attention. It's not too clicky, but it's enough that, hey, wait a minute, once you get the first one down, you're expecting it for the rest of them. So I really like the way how that kind of came together. I like Al's synths and the way how he has a way of getting the music together. It's just, I, I, I thought it flowed all together pretty well. I think we all agree on that. That's, uh, it was great. It really does sort of capture that whole, I mean, the whole thing is about a band getting the audience stoked for a song that's about to start. And yeah, it's perfect. And also uh, ostensibly to get the band ready to play. But, it, you know, we, we all feel that energy and we all feel that excitement with the countdown into any given song. So are we on to the shadows now? I think so. So on my list, the first shadow is Menage a Tune with Same Old Dance. One, two, three, one, two, three, hear the tune, join the dance. Everyone come, take my hand for a whirl. One, two, three, four, five, six, drumming hills, finger clicks, hearts beating fast in each boy and each girl. I'll dance with the maidens, I'll dance with the men. Seven, eight, nine, and I'm bowing to ten. Spin and come closer till breath flies away. My dance is so catching that you'll have to stay. And I like how the song starts out, and you think it's, you know, a simple sort of happy song about dancing. But it gets dark, and it turns out it's kind of about the plague. And I admit that I was a bit saddened when I learned that Ring Around the Rosies wasn't actually about the Great Plague, but it was, you know, a much older sort of hippie, mayday, pagan sort of thing. 
This song's definitely about the plague, and definitely about disease, and sort of using the dance metaphor. And uh, I like it for that. Yeah, I, I, I thought it had lovely harp playing. I thought the mixing could maybe use a little attention. I, I got the impression it was sort of a joke song instead of just a reference. I thought, uh, you know, the, it seems like the protagonist is death. And <laughs> right. uh, obviously it's about the coronavirus, which, which, you know. Too soon. I, I think, yeah, I think so. I mean, there's thousands of people are still dying of this today, right? I mean, not. Uh, I think there's, you know, the death count is up over 2,000. And I know it's not thousands every day or anything like that but still it's it's taking its toll right now as we speak so yeah i mean i i usually don't like to think of things as you know is it too early to make fun of something but you know maybe it is so i get it uh i get the uh, the references and um i think it's actually kind of a, a neat idea to you know like you mentioned the ring around of the rosy even if it wasn't about that to you know, make a new one. Yeah. Of those. That is about that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that their motives were ugly for this, you know? So even if it is too soon, I don't uh, think worse of menage a tune for that. I just think this song might be in a little bit poor taste right. at this point. Well, did you see the graphic of the bottle of Corona on, you know, on top of the virus picture? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not the greatest. I don't know. That may have been slightly in poor taste, but whatever. You know, everybody has their own uh, level of what they think is is tasteful or tasteless. For the music, that harp was nice. It gave like a madrigal kind of medieval, medieval feeling kind of thing. I like the dances catching like influenza. Kind of cute, but... As a song, overall, it, it just didn't keep my attention for repeat plays. They, mm. they got the counting requirement down, but I listened to it once. It was cute. It was jokey, but I, it, there's just not a lot of replaying of it, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the Brewhouse Sessions and their song, Please Come Home, Faye. I thought this was a well-produced and a nice-sounding country number, which is, you know, I guess when you consider what it's about and what we know the end is, you know, at least through the bio, if not through the, the lyrics themselves, it's pretty disturbing. Uh, it's upsetting, you know, considering. And that auto-tune is dialed up pretty high for a country song. It's It seems very, very high. For a sad country song about a murdered little girl... Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little yeah. bit out of place, right? Normally, yeah. that kind of auto tune we hear in a more of a party context. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's a it's a well produced, nice enough number that kind of hits one groove and sticks with it for the full five minutes. And 
uh, has that auto-tune thing. I don't feel really qualified to comment too much on this song because it's it's not my preferred genre anyway. Yeah. Genre. Is it genre or is it genre? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Either one. It's bias, however it is. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, this one, it's a very sad song. It's about a local tragedy. And you can tell it came from the heart. I mean, the music was well done. It was put together well. But I did feel the same way. The auto-tune took me out of the emotional part of the story because I'm focusing on the fact the voice is auto-tuned as opposed to the lyrics that are going through. It's a very sad because it's based on a true story, and I'm separating the song itself. The choices in the production are off, but I'm going, man, the, the tragedy kind of overwhelms the fact with the words of the song, I guess. So yeah. I... Uh, it was a good song. It was well done. This is only their second song that I know of that they've done. So it's something as artists, they're going to progress. And I'm glad that they're taking the challenge to not steer away from the hard things, the hard stories to tell. That's very brave to do that. Yeah. But this one, I don't feel qualified to say, oh, well, I'm not going to nitpick on this or that part of the song. But I will say the autotune took me out of it as you telling a tale. But the subject matter is very, very serious, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we should be allowed to, to talk about that sort of thing. I mean, we we did kind of go into it with a vowel sound song. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like if it's upsetting material, I think maybe, you know, when I was in college, I might have wanted to hear Jordan, Minnesota by Big Black. Now these kinds of songs, I'm just kind of like, uh, I don't want that kind of energy, I guess. Yeah, I'm a little bit sad that I Googled it. Uh, the girl? Yeah. Uh, I didn't, so I'm not going to. Okay. I don't want that to be erasure or anything. I just, you know, uh, yeah, I don't even want to talk about it now. <laughs> all right. We'll just cut all that. <laughs> Let's talk about Jeb and Iwa and their The Fibonacci Encounters Pie. song about eating pie and i like pie i like jeb's accent i like iwa's accent too and i think this is a lot more fun and interesting than their last track so it seems like they've taken some feedback about their last track and tried to do something a little more upbeat so good job there i kind of like the meta is this this okay at the end where they're like yeah this is fine let's just end the song here it kind of adds that I know that Ryan probably doesn't feel that way, but it adds a little bit of spontaneity to the end of the song, which I kind of like. But yeah, I thought this was this was a fun song about pie. Yeah, I thought it was kind of surreal-ish. At least it kind of started out a little surreal and theatric. 
like I can imagine it being a part of the musical, you know, so it's got that kind of theatrical sort of uh, aspect to it, I thought. I'm not sure I totally got the song, but there's plenty in there to enjoy. And I thought it kind of took a while to find its groove, but it ended on a high note there. I thought it, it just really ended well because like everything kind of came together by the end. It started out sparse and then it built up. And so it, it was fine. I'm not going to say for sure that I'm going to download it and have it on my playlist, but it worked well. This was another one of the songs that took on math and math sequences. I liked the numbers and the wordplay in it, but the musical chord progressions, it kind of fit the sequence, but they were kind of hard to listen to the way it's like jumping around because of the sequence. It made sense as part of the song, but I didn't replay this one a lot. All right. Next up is Pig Farmer Jr. with the song Gal For Me. That should have been the second sign that she's too much for me. And as you listen to this tale, I'm sure you will agree. I don't mind telling you, she keeps catching me off guard. Talking about a knife fight, yeah, she showed me her scars. She told me she liked me, said that she'd be mine. Gave me to the count of ten to make up my mind. I guess it is easy to see. Okay, I thought there were a, a couple of cadence issues, and <laughs> the snare at the two and the four is a kind of a stilted choice. But, you know, there's a lot of number stuff kind of cleverly hidden throughout the song. Yeah. And, you know, you got to love that mandolin. And if that's him playing that mandolin, then I'm really impressed. Yeah, I also like the mandolin and the country influence in the song, which I thought sounded good. I like the way that he used that she gave me to the count of ten to sort of integrate the counting into the song, which I thought was pretty cool. And, you know, I feel like I say this every time with the Pig Farmer song, but just make the words fit the song, not vice versa. Right in the first verse, I'm like, ah, just can we just drop a word here? So it goes... The first thing she said to me whenever we first met, what the fuck are you looking at? Do you have a cigarette? And, you know, that the word are and what the fuck are you looking at could have been dropped. So it's what the fuck you looking at? And it would have like flowed a lot better and it wouldn't have had that awkward, you know, extra syllable kind of jammed in there with are. It's just one of those little phrasing issues that could easily be fixed just by dropping a word you don't need. And you may have written... What the fuck are you looking at when you wrote the lyrics? But when you went to sing it, you should have dropped that R. And just, you know, there's just a couple little phrasing issues in there that I always seem to complain about in Pig Farmer Jr. songs. But other than that, this is a, this is a pretty good song. And I, I think he's got that sound down. And uh, the mandolin playing was indeed good. I, I like the country cadence and the way he does it. He has a way of putting songs together. And you, you almost know it's a Pig Farmer Jr. song coming in. I like the way how he wrote it. Uh, it's such a sad sack, but he doesn't realize he's a sad sack. <laughs> he just wants the girl who's treating him terribly, and he doesn't see it. And I like the way how it's written from the perspective. It, basically, that character, this is the way he sees it. And he thinks it's okay, and he's just happy to be in the relationship. And it's like... He realizes he's hanging by a thread to even be in it, so he's happy. 
I like it. I like where it went. I didn't play it a lot, but I could appreciate it. Moving on to Micah Summersmith with Chuck and Juanita. Chuck and Juanita, two old lovers with a love that's forever young. In their hearts they share a song and each sings in the other's tongue. One day Chuck says to Juanita, mi cariño, como me quieres, dime says, oh, you silly man of mine, how do I love you? Let me count the ways. You know where we've been. Those were the days sharing microwave dinners on our TV trays and So this is another lovely piano ballad from Micah, and he's just so clever, that Micah. just drives me crazy. So (laughs) he has this verse, which is in English, which he works in Spanish counting homonyms in the English verse, and then he follows it up by a verse in Spanish with English counting homonyms. And it's just, that's just so clever. And it's also, it feels like a little punny at the same time. And I'm just envious every time I hear Micah just do this amazing wordplay in his lyrics. On the the negative side, I feel like I've heard a melody like this and a song just like this from Micah before. Although I'm not sure exactly where. You know, I'm not complaining, but I feel like I've heard this before. I thought this was super duper impressive. It's next level wordplay. Yeah. Just mind bendingly impressive bilingual punning in verse <laughs> inside such a great song, too. I thought it was a great vocal melody and a great performance. And we were talking earlier about slant rhymes. And this isn't exactly that, but he hides the word five in the word por favor in here. <laughs> So it's like there's some of that kind of slant, you know, cramming it in there, which uh, which is still wildly, wildly impressive. I'm not harshing on his five. I'm just saying that, you know, he's uh, pretty much a master at kind of getting that sort of stuff in. Like with his raps, he will use slant rhymes and sell us on them like he does here, too. So, yeah, this is just too, too mind-bendingly good, though. The, the whole concept, the whole idea, the execution, just nuts. Just nuts. Yeah, I love the bilingual idea. And I, I know a little bit of Spanish, but not a lot. At first, I like the way he's going with it. I like the fact that the woman is speaking in the opposite language and the man is speaking in the opposite language. And I was just listening, and the first time playing through, I said, wait a minute, he's sneaking <laughs> puns. Because <laughs> I don't know Spanish, but I understand the English part that he's trying to do the pun on in the Spanish. I'm going, there must be a counterpoint for that. So there must be Spanish puns in the English side. And I just went, my mind is like blown away that he's been able to get both of those sides in. So there's so many damn layers in here. And I only got half of it because I didn't really take the time to learn the English 
jokes in the Spanish side or the Spanish jokes in the English side, but I could appreciate they were all there. But yeah, just listening to the Spanish and hearing the English homonyms in there, I guess, blew me away. It just did. Very, very good job. Well done. Yeah. The last shadow that we had was Heather Miller and her song, The Good Stuff. When you don't remember how that feels and you start to wonder, was it ever real? When you phone in your computer, a running out of room. When the only thing you're humming is a sad little tune. Don't you know that it's time to add up the good stuff? One, how your sheets feel on your skin. Two, cut a card from your best friend. Three, went outside without a coat. Four, saw a meme with a baby goat. I uh, don't have a lot of notes for this one. I just said it was, I thought it was a great song, but maybe the vocal performance was a little timid. And we keep on saying this, fuck your neighbors. Fuck your neighbors. Sing it out. You know, blast it out. You know, just give uh, the kind of full-throated vocal performance. Live up to your whole potential as a vocalist is is what I'm going to tell everybody. And yeah, so I thought the vocal performance was a little timid. Otherwise, this was a great song. Really, really nice. The lyrics are kind of sweet and everything, and uh, it just sounds wonderful. Yeah, I certainly like the message about seeing the good stuff in life. And I also have the same notes on the vocal performance. And I feel like this song might be in a key that's a bit low for Heather. And I thought she sounded stronger singing the higher pitches. So maybe I would try doing this again in a slightly raised key and see how that goes. But yeah, also just the the sort of timidness you can hear, but it's also kind of charming to be sort of, you know, singing about, you know, seeing the positivity in life, but doing so in kind of a timid way. Like you're not really sure that that's going to work. So I don't know. I think it worked in this context. I'm glad Heather came back with a shadow. She hasn't been in Spin Tunes in a while. She's in the early ones all the time, which was great. I like the way how this song is structured and written. I think the lyrics came out really nice. That The concept for the idea of uh, all these good things and then numbering them off in a list, but also tying in the rhyme scheme so it flows nice, though it's odd. It's like, went outside without a coat for saw a meme with a baby goat. I'm going, all right, a little forced, but it made you smile. And that's the whole thing. It's supposed to be lighthearted and make yeah. you smile because it goes into a different you know, thing. It's like find a 20 in your pants, do a silly happy dance. All right, it's cool, and it numbers down. So it, it made me smile. That's the idea of a song, and this, that's what she's trying to get across is a simple, happy song for good stuff. So I say thumbs up on that one. That's the end. We have reached the end of The Shadows. So How did that happen? by my counting, oh. there were 26 songs. So that means everybody but Mike Lamb either submitted a song or shattered. I talked to Mike on IRC today, and he mentioned that he has been sick as a dog. So he likely would have shattered if he wasn't down with the flu. Wow. Lots of great kind of shadow participation. I really like seeing that. So, Which is, again, more common in spin tunes anyway, yeah. instead of like Narine. So yeah. I'm encouraged that the shadows are encouraged to put in because I wish when they did Narine there was a lot more shadows, but there's no incentive because no one actually sees them in the, the website. I think they're, they're changing that now and they're going to include them. But 
if no one ever sees it, it's like, why do you do it? I guess it's, it's kind of hard. It's, yeah. it's just yeah. in the forum. So I'm glad there's going to be a place where they're going to be included going forward. Also, the, I, I feel like the reinstatement rule is a great game mechanic and, you know, encourages shadows. And there's been some great comebacks out of the shadow world. So I'm, I'm particularly happy so with great. that rule. Yeah, and some not so great comebacks because, <laughs> because well, because the thing is that people submit a shadow just because they kind of want to, not actually thinking they're going to get reinstated. So what happens is they submit a shadow, they're reinstated with that half-assed shadow, and then they get immediately <laughs> cut again. Because we've actually brought this up to them, and they've and at least one of them, yeah, you know, like admitted, yeah, if I'd known that I was getting back in, I would have put in more effort. So I guess that's the thing: bring it every round, whether you're in or not. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's only three rounds. I don't think we've made it past round three or four just because you have to have enough time to put that amount of effort into it. And it's, it's you know, it's it's a slog. But yeah. this is more, you got a week to do a full song, then you got a week of breather space so you can kind of work your life around it. But Yeah, and yeah. Uh, this time around they've uh, extended it by a day or two by announcing the challenge a little early, which is great, I think. That's really great. I appreciate that because that almost gives you a weekend to think about it and then a weekend to do it because most people have trouble, you know, finding the time during the week. I know I do to, to work on stuff other than just a few hours here and there. Yeah, having a full, you know, several days to just let it bubble in the back of your mind and, and come up with something really good is, is great. And I think it's going to result in better songs, too. I'm impressed. Each round that comes along, I go, where the hell are these guys coming these songs from? it's I'm very impressed with the level of professionalism that the writing is and also the level of the production for something that's turned around in a week. It's pretty good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, usually we save this time for rankings and stuff like that, but none of us are judging and I don't want to (laughs) rank and I don't want to make any predictions about who's going to be in or out or at the top or the bottom. So I'm just not going to comment on any of that. You're not going to tell us what your top three are, huh? Well, top three are Bafo, Yucks, and Dudes in that order. <laughs> so there's, there, there's one. There, there's there's two words for that. Suck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, no. I, I so I'm, I don't want to prevent you from you guys from doing any of that though. So I, I don't know. Do you have any comments on on anything like that, or do you also want to take the fifth? I don't know if I could really come up with a top three. It'd be an agonizing choice. Like, I know Steve Stearns, Faster Jackalope, and Mandibles are all pretty far up there, but I also want... Oh, yeah, Nick Work, too. So there, there, there's four that I want to put in the top three. So I don't, I don't even know how I'd make that choice. It's like, I'm just glad I'm not a judge. Yeah, I'm trying to go through the list. I did not stack rank them at all. When I was writing it up, I know Buckethead Bobby, I put as one of the top ones. Steve Stearns definitely was there. I love the Jackalope layer production was awesome. I think the more heartbreaking thing is that, I don't know about you guys, but I cannot imagine eliminating whatever it's going to be, seven or eight of these. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like I can imagine maybe maybe a couple of them not making it through to the next round, but seven or eight? No, I just don't get it. It's not manageable i mean i think baffa yuck dudes put in a strong song i highly doubt we're going on to the next round mm. because just given history we've never gotten to the third round 
Well, <laughs> more more than half of those times, it's from not submitting, though. Isn't that right? Like, oh no, we've we've been submitting in spin tunes. We haven't in um, uh, Narine is we we've had to bow out a few times just because of the amount. But we've had the time, so spin tunes we haven't actually. Maybe once, I think we had a vacation or something going on. Uh, I yeah, can see us getting cut this round as well. I just I feel like there's so many good songs that you're just through no fault of your own going to end up getting cut. Exactly, and it's, it's going to take room. out. Yeah, it's going to take out almost what a quarter of the songs each time. So you know, it's uh, it's tough. It's a huge elimination each round. So yeah, you know, I'm certainly nervous about it. I'm not worried about it. I think, I mean, another third's going to be gone. We're going we're to lose eight out of the 20 this time around. This, that's the way it goes. But I think a lot of those are going to shadow. It could very easily be back in for the next round. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we intend to shadow if we get cut. So at least, I mean, that's, that was our explicit agreement. Yeah. Or who knows if we're going to hold to it. But You're packed with the, the devil. Yeah. Yep. That's right. We get a song out of it, if nothing else. And... You know, it's it's just fun to play along for the whole competition. If we don't have these competitions, you know, we don't do anything, too. So, you know, we could go back to Songfight, obviously. But uh, with this, it seems a little bit more pressing. There's a little bit more of a, you know, we want to get that, that huge trophy, a, a second yeah. one next to yeah. the one that I have. You know. There's an urgency there. You you need a pair. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I need, I need that other medal, you know, to... to to prop up the other leg of the, the dinner table. So I'm I'm surprised you have not, you know, posted the giant trophy that Spin Tunes gives out for all of the winners. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised I haven't too. I wonder why I haven't done that. <laughs> However, Brian yeah. Gray has been known to wear his Spin Tunes winner T shirt on the boat numerous times and actually did a concert wearing it. Which I went, All right. He's wearing it loud and proud. Okay. Did he make it himself with a Sharpie or something? Because we could do that. <laughs> well, that, he has the extras at home in case the first one is damaged by... <laughs> has he finished his Glebelverse album yet? I am hoping for it. Uh, he's three or four songs in so far, and I, I thought he'd be continuing it round one here, but he went a different path. So. Okay. Well, it's been a delight. We usually do some shout-outs at the end. Do you want to start, or do you want me to start, or what do you, what do you think, Tommy? Oh, you can go ahead. All right. Uh, we'll do the usual shout-outs. I want to say thank you to my husband, Andre. Thanks for all the love and support. Shout-out to Brian, Jerkatorium collaborator, without whom there would not be a Jerkatorium. And to Alice, you know, keep doing that great art. It's, uh, it's wonderful. And shout-out to Dave for organizing this doing a great job uh shout out to the judges and then i think that's about it i would like to shout out to my lovely wife sarah who is tolerating me being holed up in this room for several hours on end which is great i'd also like to shout out to brian and alice who are some of our biggest fans and also like to thank the judges and dave for all of their hard work i know how hard it is to write 26 reviews it's not easy so thanks for all of your hard work i'm on the spot here for shouting out for people but i'll see what i can pull out of my ass here uh shout out definitely for all the judges and their hard work that they're doing shout out to my girlfriend jody who also happened to be just ducky in the first round and a shout out to her son who did the music part of just ducky and also his outlier 
in the contest this time around. And shout out to Churkatorium for having me on the show. I appreciate it. I don't usually go on many podcasts, and I was pleasantly surprised when I was asked to, to comment on this because this is spin tunes and it's something near and dear to my heart. So I appreciate having a chance to kibitz with you guys. Oh, we're thrilled to have had you on. We're uh, really glad that we got you for this because you are an institution in the Nurein and Songfight and Spin Tunes realm. So great to get your input. Well, thank you for having me. I can hear the theme music playing. Oh, I should say thank you to Scott and Al, the other Baffle Yucks dudes. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> See you over at Mr. Wiggly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. So check out uh, the Mr. Wiggly podcast and also Bafo Yex Dudes at Bandcamp.com, Facebook.com, Tumblr.com, SoundCloud.com. But download and... the Mr. Wiggly where they really need the numbers. So download it three <laughs> or four times from different accounts. They need the numbers up. And also go to iTunes and say Mr. Wiggly's is awesome. Download it off of iTunes as well. That's my that plug. That's my Good plug. All right, great. I am downloading as we speak. Also, remember to check out the listening parties live. There's chats that go on during the listening parties. You don't want to miss out on that. It's great. It's awesome. It's well worth your time, and it's a lot of fun. So do that. Yeah. 